Is anybody there? Hello? It's a bit dramatic, don't you think? It just seem, feels so empty with just the two of us here. Uh, chin up. Sarah and Keegan are going to be on again, and more importantly, we have our listeners back, Rick. I suppose that is the important part. I guess it's on us to carry the show. I got you. So, with that in mind, welcome back to Season 2, Episode 1 of Corax and CoffeeCast. I'm your host, Pete Steele. And I'm your other host, Rick Hendricks. And we're typically about playing games in public, but we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. That we are. But we remain all about bringing new people into the hobby and pushing back hard against the stereotype that board gamers are asocial beings. We do want to thank our behind-the-scenes people, our producer Keegan King, our editor of all things Sarah Vasa, and Miss Shaw, who's kind of our board game enthusiast consultant. We want to talk to everybody about something that Rick and I and all of us here at Corax and Coffee have actually been kind of struggling with and talking a lot about over the break over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, we all we all thought that, like like many of you, we all thought the pandemic would be over at this point. We really did. Yeah, we've been working on trying to to launch Corax and Coffee for a while, and we figured we'd be no. Yeah coming out with it it's sort of a triumphant stage of like oh yeah we're all set we're all ready and we're all done and now it's time to start to rebuild and we're just not there right we, we really thought now we can come back together in fellowship and play games in public in public spaces and things like that because that really is the mission of corex and coffee but after doing this for a couple of months we're like oh that message is is kind of tone deaf and we certainly don't want to come across and be tone deaf i mean we, we really believe in the health and safety of all people first and foremost absolutely and we realize that we're all in really different places Right now, in terms of COVID, um, some of us have been working from home the whole time. Some of us have been going to work every single day and, uh, you know, dodging and weaving. Uh, And there's a whole spectrum uh, between and beyond that. And for, uh, for all of us, it's been hard. Not just the board gaming community, but, you know, Again, this is not a new conversation. You know, everybody from every walk of life has been having this conversation for coming up on two years now. It's not new, and it's certainly not over for most. That's just the reality. And we we wanted to address that on our channel. We, we wanted to sort of not dwell on it, but we're concerned that... We're concerned that it might come across that we just don't struggle with this, that we, you know, that we don't think this is an issue... Which is definitely not the case. And I think we, we really are going to actually come back to this a couple times in the near fu- near future in season two. We're going to focus, you know, on gaming and playing games kind of in community and fellowship, but also focusing more on solo games and focusing on games that can be played while socially distanced as well, just to provide a little more, more content mm-hmm. um, in that area for the time being. Sure. Something that's, that's relevant for you you right now and that makes it a little easier to wait for this to all be better yeah and i have to say that you know i'm definitely feeling so disconnected and burnt out and when i do make a connection with somebody you know i constantly have that anxiety of you know i want everyone to be healthy and feel safe i want to stay healthy and feel safe and i want to communicate that i am thinking about that other person's health and well-being and safety as well and at the same time i'm so desperate to make those personal connections 
Mm-hmm. You've got the, you've got the mental health aspect as well. Yeah. Of to be honest, loneliness and you know, I think most of us have been doing a lot more work than life in our work life balance because life has been largely canceled. Yeah. So so we're going to try and talk about how to make those connections. How to do it virtually where appropriate, how to be, do it with the one or two people you might be stuck with already. And we do think that it's important to keep playing throughout this this time and really in all times. It's it's something we've been doing as long as we've been people. And it seems a shame to lose that. Speaking of connections, though, like I, I completely agree with you, Rick, that we do need to, you know, focus on continuing to play games in whatever avenues and mediums we can to do that. And there certainly are, are many of them. Uh, we just have to be creative with how and when and how we do that. But I also think this is a great opportunity to focus on the meta of gaming. And, you know, meta is not for everybody, and that's totally fine. But while ga- playing games can be more challenging, you can still pick up the phone and talk to your gaming friends and people who might be interested about all sorts of things related to gaming. And, you know, since we were last on Corax and Coffee Cast, I've actually had some some really interesting conversations with a few, few people, family and friends. I was actually just talking to uh, a friend a couple weeks ago uh, talking about what we were doing and somehow we got onto the you know the subject matter of what constitutes a game mm-hmm. right ludology at its core oh gosh yeah exactly and he was saying to me he's like pete give me a simple definition of a game and i said to him i was like hey that might not be useful or even possible mm-hmm. just because games are complex concepts that tend to be interdependent systems um, include, you know, so many components. So I, it's like, I said to him, I can give you a list of things that tend to be included in games that bear a resemblance to a game because these are all related in some way, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to give you a short, succinct universal definition that you're looking for. And he's like, oh, well, you know, what good are you then? Like, okay, well, fine. It's almost like asking, tell me about stories. Right, exactly. It's like this has been with us from the beginning, and it's such a building block of us. <laughs> right. So what I wanted to tell him, because this is something that I, I personally completely geek out on, right? I'm like, oh, well, well, there are these authors, Salen and Zimmerman, who wrote this book in 2004. They provide this excellent survey on different definitions of the term, quote, game, unquote, that have been offered over the years. Yeah. You, you may be losing people at this point. Right, exactly. I mean, I lost him. As soon as I said that, he was daydreaming about pie or whatever he was doing, which is, you know, no fault of his. That's just... No. Again, meta is not for everybody, and extremely meta, you know, is for even fewer people. But... (laughs) Right. However, because I do have the microphone right now, I will just say, had he been willing to not daydream about pie, I would have said the game tends to provide um, some sort of recreational or enjoyable element. Doesn't mean it's always enjoyed, but enjoyable element or potentially enjoyable element. Games tend to be immersive or cause some level of non-clinical dissociation. Games tend to have interdependent parts. They tend to have some kind of mutually agreed upon structure or boundaries. We tend to call those the rules, right? Mm-hmm. And they tend to have some sort of underlying mathematical framework. So you put all those together and you have something that often resembles a game Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I didn't come up with all of that list myself. This is a list compiled of different scholars who study ludology and gaming, you know, at a level far beyond what we do here on Corex and Coffee. But sure. The reason I say that before you start dream, daydreaming about Pyrick is um, I, I've been having these conversations and I've really enjoyed them. So I, I've been thinking sort of on similar lines about what the difference is between a board game and a video game. Okay. Because we're really getting to that point where technology is a part of everything we do. We've been talking just now about playing board games virtually, you know, and as soon as you do that, Where's the line? I, like many people, have recently started playing Wordle. Oh yes. You're trying to you're trying to get me into Wordle. You've mentioned to me like a dozen times and you're like I, I, I am trying to get you into Wordle. But but the great thing about it is everyone has the same word to guess and it has some very simple rules on how it guides you to that word you're trying to guess. Mm-hmm. But each day, everyone's word is the same. And afterwards, you get these great meta discussions where you're able to see another person's path to getting to the world word or not and compare it to your path and, and just geek out about game theory in this very simple way that that uh, reaches a lot of people who aren't traditional gamers. Rick, you're talking about, you know, the intersection of board gaming and technology, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about the difference between a board game and a video game, I find that board games tend to be player enhancement. They keep the focus on your fellow players, or in the case of a solo game, you yourself, and you provide most of the most of the draw to come play the game. Video games are tend to be more often set pieces. So you have, you know, AI opponents, you have videos, you have things that are computer generated that you really want to focus on. But even in, in games where it, where there's been an app or something running the game, I've still usually been more focused on my fellow players and the cooperation we need to overcome that. But it's going to be interesting as tech gets more and more pervasive. I think this line is going to keep getting blurred until we don't use cardboard anymore. And then, you know, but I think there will still be board games, even when we're all in a digital space. Even with all of the challenges that we have mentioned and more that we haven't of playing tabletop games in the era of COVID, we actually have had the opportunity to play a few games over the break. And one game that I want to mention in particular right now is Backwoods, which came out in 2021, uh, designed by Ryan Williams, published by Most High Design. So this is a survivalist game set in 1830s Colorado. And when I first heard about this game, I was actually really, really excited. I was excited about the survival game aspect. I was excited about the character creation aspect. I was excited about the item crafting aspect. Yeah, it's it sounds like an exciting game, not a place where we've seen a lot of other of other work. Yeah, and I think this is an area this survival genre needs a lot more work and development in the board game space and would and could benefit from it. Especially for new gamers as sort of a, a stepping stone into the genre. Totally true, yeah. So the game comes to my house and I unpack it. And I'm working through the rule book, and 
Oh, this rule book was such a mess. It just, it left out critical information in both its text and illustrated examples. I mean, it was organized, to my mind, like... I mean, the, each page had just been kind of almost glued into the rule book at random. So it's it's the sort of thing that you read the book three times and you're still not sure how things were supposed to work? Exactly, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm interacting off the components. And, you know, this is not our first rodeo, right? I've read through my fair share of really, really poorly written rule books. But this one was so challenging for me that I actually went online, went on the forums, just to make sure I wasn't the only one that was struggling with this so much. And I found that, yeah, a lot of other people are saying, yeah, this rule book has a lot of deficits, unfortunately. I'm like, okay, well, I feel vindicated that I'm not the only one, but also disappointed that, hey, yeah, this rule book, according to the community, has a lot of problems. Okay, well, that's nothing, that, that's nothing new. But... But you pushed through. I pushed through. I figured it out. And this is not the first time this has happened. So there you go. Mm -hmm. What was interesting, though, as, as I was pushing through in the manual, in the rule book, it, it talks about the faith system. And so on each player board, there's this place where you have faith. And by the way, the player boards are um, double-layered cardboard. So you put in your little tokens to um, you know, plot, you know, track your health and your faith and a number of other things. But the fact that it's double layered is you know fantastic, and the player boards were, were absolutely stunningly beautiful. Thematic, it was wonderful. But the rule book was talking about faith and saying that you don't have to use the faith system, but the faith system was based on the Christian faith only. And the rule book mentioned Jesus a number of times and it had a cross. Uh, it was just very specific very specific Christian faith. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. Don't want to knock the Christian faith, belief system, whatever. However, why couldn't this game have been based on a more generic faith system where one could have inserted any faith or doctrine or creed or spirituality? Why did it have to be based on strictly the Christian faith? And it just seemed very exclusive to so many uh, worldviews unnecessarily well and, and faith is also a good a good marker for just like i don't know that that whole trope where you've got a child with you in the wilderness and you're just trying to to remain a good enough person to get them through this so it doesn't even have to be religious I, exactly exactly you know and i didn't want to just you know be a reviewer or just a consumer who just said cast this aside and say you know what not doing it. I really wanted to be curious. I'm like, okay, so are they using the Christian faith in 1830s Colorado because they're really trying to construct a period piece? I'm like, okay, maybe that's what they're trying to do. It still seems kind of 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 white supremacist normative in a number of ways to me, and kind of colonizer-ish. But it's like, let's let's stick with this. So then I start to go through the game components. And what I found was, is that tragically, that the game depicts Native Americans as dangerous and as some of the enemies. That's disappointing. That, that was the final straw for me. I was like, you know what? Even if this is still supposed to be a period piece, A, that period of history with uh, European colonizers, Native Americans was horrific, right? So if you're going to treat it as a period piece, in order for it to be virtuous in the slightest as a period piece, it needs to highlight 
the deficits of the period that it's representing and talk about how far we've come and also talk about how far we really haven't come and then that how that is still a deficit to us. This game did none of that. And so in my mind, it's like, okay, well, it, it either isn't trying to be a period piece at all or it's completely failing in the mission of a period piece in my mind. I wanted to really like this game, Rick. I, I, just, I felt duped. I felt duped. You just felt like it wasn't what you picked up or what you meant to pick up. Right. And there were so many beautiful things about this game. It was clearly a labor of love. The artwork was fantastic. The setting looked great. It was just white supremacist colonizer and just had a really backwards view of Native American relationships and what that history really looked like. So as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh, this is, this is not a game that I could ever recommend. But I also think it's worth talking about because I think, I truly believe that games, just like any artistic modality, on the one hand, they are meant to be fun and have players engage with them and enjoy them, but they also have a type of social responsibility. They, they have power. They do. Again, just like stories, they're fundamental. Right. And you got to use that power responsibly. You, you absolutely do. And I struggled a lot. You know, I, I, you know, you and I talked about not mentioning this game at all. But then we thought, oh, we really need to. And um, we didn't don't want to just cast it aside and not mention anything. So, yeah, hopefully the next person will uh, be a little bit better prepared when they pick this up. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to say this is a horrible game. Nobody should ever touch it. What I'm saying is, A this game's messaging did not align with my values and B, I think it's important for consumers to be aware what they're picking up when it comes to this game or, or any game. That's why we do what we do. Sure. I hear you. Yeah. I had a much better time with unlock a uh, timeless adventure, which came out in 2020. This is designed by Alice Carroll published by space cowboys, which is, just such a great name. So Unlock, some of our listeners may be familiar with it. It's an escape room that is run by a series of cards and through an app on your phone. So I had a lot of fun with it. It, it Like most escape rooms, it started out with an hour timer, uh, which put a nice, a nice urgency to the experience. It, it was a little difficult for me to get to because it comes with a full deck of cards. Like, I don't know, there were a hundred of these things. And when you find something in this game, you have to find a specific card. So anytime you solve a puzzle or you want to add two elements together, you have to go hunting for a specific card in your deck. And there's just a lot of deck to go through. It did manage to capture the thrill of the escape room puzzle solving a few times. And I am looking forward to, to getting back to the other adventures in the box. That's the other good thing is this comes with, I believe, three adventures. And we only got through the first one. I've actually played a couple of Unlock games and really enjoyed them. I found that I've had to be in the right space, personally. Mm -hmm. Because I do enjoy solo games. And you, you can play Unlock with a number of people. I've played the Unlock game solo. But for puzzle games and for games that I happen to play solo or solo games, I have to be in the right space. But when they have sat down with Unlock games, I've actually really enjoyed them. I've actually only ever done one full escape room once in my life. Um, and I did it with a whole bunch of family members. 
and you know we went in there i think we went in kind of kind of cocky and um we're like oh we're, we're we're smart people we're educated people we're gonna we're no problem we're gonna knock this out in 20 minutes and, and you are and we are you know like but we failed we failed at like 59 you know with well, the full hour right so we failed at 60 minutes we were probably like no joke five seconds away it was like we had to like push the final button or whatever and it was so humiliating and well, it's not even the right word well it was humiliating but it was humbling it frustrating it was frustrating it was humbling and like our our failure was we had way too many alpha gamers in that room all trying to do our own thing all saying oh no i you're you're wrong i know what we're doing here and we, we spent a lot of time bickering yeah and i think the same thing can happen with with the unlock games or any other card-based deck game with too many gamers sure which can be great because you know after the game if you lose a game you're like hey i think you we, we lost that game together because too many cooks or whatever right all that is to say like i've enjoyed playing them solo and really the thing is with escape rooms is failing with one puzzle left to go is the sweet spot you don't really want to get out in 15 minutes because then you sort of don't get the experience for your time that's fair you know, uh, and you don't want to fail, you know, three puzzles in where it just feels like, oh, I was dumb to even come here. Right. But but failing, you know, three feet from the entrance it is kind of the sweet spot. I think I've succeeded in getting out of escape rooms a few times, but fairly often you fail very close to the end. But yeah, I am excited to go through the rest of this box see if I've improved. I think like escape rooms, it has a language that it talks to you in that's different from, you know, any other game that I've ever played. Yes. So it may just be that uh, when I play the other adventures, I'm going to understand it better. Good tutorial, though. I really enjoyed the tutorial. I think one thing that's really great about the Unlock series of games, and also, you know, this is not the only series that simulates escape rooms, there's also the Exit series, is that, you know, so many people have been to an escape room that aren't particularly board game oriented or may not identify as a gamer, but have gone out with friends or family to like to do this activity more so pre-COVID, but it's still a thing. Sure. And will continue to be a thing. But if you mention an unlock game or an exit game to somebody who's not a gamer and be like, oh, it's it's an escape room in a box. Come check this out. An escape room in a box. If you like that, you might like this. And that's a hook. And that's just another way to engage people in the board game hobby. You gotta love those hooks. Gotta love those hooks. Another tool in the toolbox. However, Speaking of just having these conversations about games in public, I was in this is such a weird kind of transition, but I was just uh, in my local coffee shop that's just down the street from my house uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I ran into these two video game designers. I don't know how the conversation even started. It was a little bit odd, but we just got talking in line and it turned into this full-blown conversation about this video game they were designing and they showed me some renders on their phone and they told me about how is this open world science fiction adventure. There are a lot of those. Yep, still cool. Still cool and the, the renders look great. And I just you know told them some things that we were doing on Corex and Coffee. They seemed like really nice guys. They're a little bit quirky and odd, that's fine. Takes all kinds. We are all kinds. We are. We absolutely are. But it was it was kind of bizarre and surreal. They were both wearing sunglasses inside, and which is all fine. But 
they're they're telling me that how they met online and one of them had been sailing around the Caribbean for six months and apparently they had this team of developers they were working with mostly online and they're working in the United States and Canada and Germany and Australia and the list went on and on and on sure yeah it's like okay well I, I suppose so right Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, well, in addition to developing this game, we're also developing a number of cryptocurrencies. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I suppose that is a thing one can do. I mean, a any of them that you'd heard of. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I'm like, we could, like, we here at Quarks and Coffee could, you know, invent a crypto if we want to. That's not hard. The trick is making it worth anything, right? Yeah. And so it was because of kind of this whacked out conversation. And eventually they were like, oh, yeah. And then we met Elon Musk. And I'm like, OK, now I'm just now I'm just being screwed with. OK, did, did you then wake up and this was all a dream or? I mean, I know it just it just got less and less plausible. But that's not the point. The point is, is that fictional or no. You know, if you're in the space, you can have conversations about gaming, board gaming, or video game anywhere. It, even in your head at a local coffee shop. It was bizarre. We're not as rare as we think we are. Exactly. We're really not. And we're not as isolated as we think we are. And that's that's always nice. And to that point, just to, to give another brief anecdote to that point exactly, I happened to find myself in Barnes & Noble the other day. And I was on a particular mission, mission so... Not no cruising around, just in and out. Sure. I found what I needed. I paid for my merch, and I started to walk out the door. And I turned to the cafe, thinking, "Hey, maybe I want nice coffee." And there were two tables of four women apiece, all wearing their masks. So good for them. Mm -hmm. But they were playing two games of mahjong. Oh, fun! I go up and chat with them for the briefest of, briefest of moments. Um, and you know, I said, "Oh, I'm just interested in playing games in public. Can I have this?" website about it and they looked at me like I had nine heads so I was like okay forget about that sure good on you for playing games in public together you know like in groups and you know wearing masks is great and whatever so they kind of looked at me again like I was weird and went back to playing their game and then I left them alone but it was kind of a moment for me of realizing you know what playing games in public can look like anything it's not something I expected to see it was really really cool to see these women who are not in the typical gamer demographic. And, you know, we constantly say, you know, gamers are incredibly diverse, which we believe and we've seen. But sure, this this made me, you know, kind of question my own stereotypical hangups about what gamers are and made me realize, hey, they can really come in all dimensions, which is really cool. So I had to challenge my own assumptions about what gamers are, which is which is really great. Yeah. I mean, games aren't new. Yeah. These are fundamental things. People been doing forever. My grandparents played a lot of bridge, not necessarily in public, but at people's houses. And yeah, I remember when my dad taught my siblings and I bridge probably twenty years ago. So didn't didn't stay with it, but uh, learned how to play. Yeah, yeah. Found other things to captivate you. Yeah, yeah. So we've had these three weeks off from the podcast, and now we're back. But because we've had less of a focus on pushing out new content every week and more on building our own experience and knowledge base around gaming, which is you know a lot of work but also a lot of fun, right? Yeah, we've had the time to play some different games, learn a little bit more about the space, and have some new games that we can dive into in detail in Season 2 here on Corex & Coffee. So we've been playing all these new games, or games that are at least new to us, mm -hmm. and 
And so, as a result, we have been reading a lot of rules and making rules mistakes and going back and rereading rules and learning new strategies like when you play a game for the first time. That's just fundamental. Right. And I, I think I, I have some thoughts about this, none of which are really new to me and certainly not new to the space. But because we have gone through a few weeks of kind of intensive on this, I think it's worth sharing these experiences that we've had over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, to talk a little bit about the things we've learned about game rules specifically. So I guess the first thing is... Learning a new game, especially when you're learning it on your own, it's such a drag. It's such a drag. <laughs> learning is critical and learning is is supposed to be fun. Adding new skills to the toolbox are always good. But the actual process of learning like you're tramming for a test can be miserable. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, it's not Sesame Street, right? That horrible show that taught all kids that all learning should be fun opinions are, are present if you couldn't tell i suppose i mean it's wonderful when learning is enjoyable but that's not the point learning is hard work even when you want to learn your subject material like a new board game and when it's it's really especially difficult when board game rules are not particularly well written and they may have a number of other issues i love my quick start rules that's right you know hey here's three rules get going. Which sometimes are effective and other times they are so different from the full version of the game that you're almost learning two games. But yeah, yeah. When well done. When well done. Yeah, they can work. But what so often happens, we buy games and we open them and we poke at the rules and we prod at the rules and we get frustrated for one reason or another. Maybe we fall asleep on the couch or whatever. Yeah. And we wake up discouraged with a headache, and then the games sit on shelves for another six months or a year unplayed, right? This is where the shelf of shame comes from. Right, because because I'm as soon as I get the energy, I'm going to actually read those rules and figure out how to play that game, and we're going to play that game. Yeah, or you're just not going to buy another game. <laughs> that That is much easier, I've found. Much easier, and way more fun. Yes. I mean, to an extent, this is where the shelf of shame comes from, right? There are certainly other reasons. But nothing beats the excitement of buying something new and the idea of the new possibility space and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of work before you get to that fun. Yeah. I think what we've learned these past few weeks, or learned again, is that it's more effective to learn as an active process. Sit down at the table, pull out the components, set up the game while you're reading the setup, and play through slowly by yourself while you're reading. Go through the motions, it helps it sink in. It does take more commitment and more energy that way, but it's just so much more effective than trying to understand these rules in a vacuum and tie concepts to one another, get the pieces out and tie the concept to the piece and then move on to the next concept. Board game rules are not fine literature. They're not poetry. They're not a short story. You have to be interact with them to get something out of them. Not that you don't have to interact with poetry. You, you do. I can, I can hear my high school English teacher screaming at me for that one. But, but like rules videos can be so helpful. If you can find one, uh, so much the better. But people learn in different ways. People learn in multiple ways. 
Rick, you mentioned like learning these things by yourself, but like learn to play with a second person. It will feel far less lonely. It will be less discouraging and boring and they will catch stuff that you missed and you'll catch stuff that, that they miss. And, you know, you can, you know, if, if you bring in a person, you know, a fellow game or whatever to learn a game that you just bought, then you do it for them. It's like, I'll scratch my back, you scratch mine. It can work out really well. Well, and the other benefit of, of learning the game together is you can avoid what I so often do, whereas I learn the game and I think I've got a good handle on it. Now I have to teach it to somebody else. And that's another mountain to get over before anybody actually gets to play the game. So, yeah, it's probably nice to reach the top of that summit with somebody and be ready to actually start playing. Speaking of getting started, don't worry too much about getting all the rules exactly right your first time. It's much better to get in there and start playing and start understanding some things than to try and be perfect. It's 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 a fool's errand. There's no way you're going to be perfect the first time. Yeah, it's a fool's errand. It's a pipe dream. Yeah. Most games that I have played, there's been at least one moment where I'm like, wait, why wouldn't I just do the power move every time? And then I check the rules and I say, oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> you're only allowed to do that once every phase. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, insisting that you get all of board game rules right on your first go is like walking through a car wash while trying to blow dry your hair. One way or another, it's not gonna end well and you're not gonna accomplish the task. Learning a new board game is like any other skill. You're not gonna get it right, right out of the gate. You're not going to be good, good at it. And that is okay. And, and remember folks, remember rule one. Rule one is you're supposed to be having fun. So if you're actually playing and even if you're not doing it quite right, that's way better than sitting there and staring at the box in frustration. Anyway, not new revelations that we're having, just just things that we want to throw out there again going into season two, because these are things that we have been experiencing a lot in the past few weeks and have been kind of reflecting to ourselves and to each other about how much we've been experiencing these things. And it's been great because we've had a few weeks just to really hunker down and play games. It's been awesome. And we'll continue to play games, but we've had some extra time to do that lately. So with all of that being said, Rick, what do we have in store for season two? In season one, we covered a lot of the basics. We got to know each other a little bit. We talked about some basic theory. And with that having been said, we're looking forward to getting into some hardier fare. We're going to get into some more specific gaming content this season. I'm really excited for our upcoming role-playing episode where we're going to pit a few of these systems against each other. And we're going to explore how you can use different mechanics to sell the same sort of story with a different feel and how can you can use the same mechanics to tell wildly different stories. So we're going to we're going to dive into a little bit of that. And I'm excited for that. This is so important because we said there's a board game out there for anyone who has the slightest interest in games. But more than that, if you can find one game, you are probably likely to find dozens of others that are also for you. So while we are going to talk a little bit more about friendly local game stores and, you know, RPG stuff, we're going to be talking about a lot of specific games and reviewing a lot more games this season to give you, the listener, 
more information about specific games that we have either really enjoyed or enjoyed or not enjoyed at all, but you might. Right. So stay tuned for that. And and, and we're also going to talk about some games that are just necessary parts of the journey. Right. You know, at some point, you've just got to play certain games. It's part of your cultural literacy. But we'll get to that later. Anyway, having a robust and varied toolkit knowing all of these different games and where they fit into your playing strategy means that you can have a game that you can play during your lunch break and another game that you can play when you have a whole weekend to yourself and you really want to immerse yourself deep out into it. It also means that it's easier to reach out a hand to a new player, somebody you want to have play with you because you can say, hey, you love zombie pirates, right? I know a zombie pirate game let's get it going. And you are also able to avoid some things that might be deal breakers for that person. Zombie pirates might be overplayed at this point, Rick. Just have to say that. I think Disney took care of that. I mean, it's a saturated space for a reason. Okay, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> um, that said, I'm also excited about one of our episodes coming up where I'm going to talk to you about how you're probably already a LARPer and you don't know it. <laughs> And I'm going to explore with you how that can help you out in board games and in life, even if you're not ready to join me and start swinging a foam axe around. There are elements of this that you are already good at, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. We have a lot of cool content coming up this season. I think for me, what I'm actually most excited about is our episode on a gateway miniatures games, because the stereotype and the fear is that miniatures games are so difficult and costly and time-consuming to get into, and we're just going to bust that wide open. Oh yeah, we have some nice ones that are easier to get into. Those things and many other things to look forward to in Season 2 and beyond. So thank you so much for listening to Rick and myself here at the Corax and Coffee Cast. If you like this episode and our other episodes, please do uh, consider supporting the podcast by liking, subscribing, sharing on social media. And you can also support us through monthly subscriptions, become a Patreon supporter, buy our merch, whatever you want to do there or not. Join our mailing list. Did we say that already? Join our mailing list. Yeah, why not? We've got some stuff that's going out that, that way uh, here shortly, so... But all of our podcast content and most of our other content is completely free to all, regardless of if you choose to support us or not. Absolutely. And we will see you next time. We will. Please visit our website at www.corexandcoffee.com and uh, tune in for the next episode. We're excited to see you. Until next time, I'm Pete Steele. And I'm Rick Hendricks. Take care, all. Take care. They say brevity is the soul of wit, but sometimes it's also just running out of things to say. I'd like to think that this is the former, but then I have to admit that I think Pete is witty on air, and that just isn't going to happen, folks. Not now, not ever. Also, I've missed you. There, I said it. I guess I'll talk to you in a few months. I guess I'll get up. I guess I'll go for a walk. Sorry, but if you can put together the references here and in the show notes, I'll figure out some gift to send you. Just the first person, though. Otherwise, it's a lot of gifts. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Corax and Coffee Cast with our hosts, Pete Steele and Rick Hendricks. Music, the amazing outros that you totally listened to and missed, and production by me, Keegan King. As always, thanks to our editor, Sarah Vasa, and our non-gamer contributor, Miss Shaw. 
If you like this podcast, please hang up and try again. Just kidding. You might also like our unboxing videos, written game reviews, print and play content, and whatever other amazing things we have on our website, coraxandcoffee.com. Please consider following us on social media or supporting us monthly to help keep this podcast going on our Patreon or in the anchor link here in the show notes. This and our other content will remain free, but it's always nice to know that you lovely people care. You can also buy stuff from our merch store or just in general, say hi. Please rate and subscribe on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. The quote of the week. They say stress is a silent killer, but poison darts are pretty darn quiet. Corax and Coffee. Tabletop gaming. Caffeinated.